0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton,
1: California. I'm going to have a little bit of a chuckle this morning. Typically, and this is my experience through seminary, but typically when you hear a pastor come up to the pulpit and he begins to give a testimony, it's because he doesn't have a sermon prepared. <laughs> this morning I'm going to give you my testimony... But not because I didn't prepare, because it's relevant to what we're going to be talking about today with the Holy Spirit through the process of salvation. And I'm going to give you the abbreviated version because we don't have all day and you probably don't really care anyway. So here we go. Apparently when I was younger, younger than I can remember, I was baptized. Um, I don't know the ceremony. I don't remember it. Uh, the only recollection that anyone had of it was my grandparents told me, yeah, we have a certificate of you uh, being baptized. Of course, they never could produce it, so didn't know. Later on in life, uh, I attended a community church center. I can't remember the name of it now, but I uh, attended there for several years, and I started to attend youth camps through Hume Lake. So those who've ever been to Hume Lake, that's where I used to go as a child for uh, winter camp, summer camp, so on and so forth. But it was there in 1989 when I came to know the Lord. Uh, I would talk with my counselor there. Uh, The the name of the camp was Wagon Train, if any of you remember that. Um, But it was that Wagon Train, and the counselor... Uh, talked with me on several nights, and um, to kind of preface that a little bit, my mother uh, was very much a Christian, and she was being uh, discipled by my aunt's mother. And um, they had many, many conversations, and it was my mother's prayer for me that I would be saved. And I remember she would tell me this, she would read the Bible to me, uh, she would do all the things that we do in order to not convince, but allow the Lord to work through you to get through to that other person. Well, that's what my mom did for me. And like I said, 1989, I was at Wagon Train. It was, I think, it was the second night into the uh, camp, and I committed my life to Jesus Christ. And you might be saying, "Well, that's great." You were what? How old were you? I was only eight years old. But. Uh, It was a defining moment for me. I know that some people, when they have their salvation experience, that nothing really changes. It wasn't a magical moment for you. Uh, It might have been just an ordinary maybe experience for you, but it was special for me. Um, Laying there in my bunk and looking out to the stars and realizing what decision I made, I knew that I was making people happy with this decision. Uh, I was making my mother happy, I'm sure. And I look forward to getting down the hill and letting her know of my decision and my aunt and and all the family members about that decision. But I felt good on the inside too. Um, Even at eight years old, I realized what kind of commitment that I was making now. But I will tell you, fast forward, uh, that wasn't always the case for me. I wasn't always living uh, the life that God called me to. As some people know, we talk about backsliders and those kinds of things, and we won't get into that, but um, I wasn't living my life the way that I should. And I felt convicted, and there were times in my life where I felt convicted of that. I didn't do anything about it at the time, but nevertheless, the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And then we get further down the road, and um, recommitting my life to Christ. Uh, was baptized by Pastor Martin back in 2008, eight, nine, somewhere there, only because I didn't know about my baptism experience. It wasn't because I just wanted to do it again to renew things. It was because I truly didn't know uh, whether or not I actually did that and followed through uh, what God has called me to do. Did that, and um, here we are. Um, But I I tell you that abbreviated version of my testimony because there is a lot more to that. But I want to ask you this this morning. When did I become a Christian? When did I become a Christian? Was it when I was baptized as a baby? Uh, When I was attending church on a regular basis as a child? Uh, When I prayed the sinner's prayer that day at Hume Lake, maybe the day that I walked down the aisle in response to an altar call, Uh, when I was baptized by Pastor Martin, or maybe when I finally understood what it meant to repent. When did I receive the Holy Spirit into my life? At which of those same points in my life did the Holy Spirit come to dwell in my life? Have you ever asked yourself these questions? When did you receive your salvation? At what point in your life did you receive that? And again, the reason I shared that with you is that I ask you these two questions because I'm convinced that Those are two questions that need to be asked and answered in our lives. This morning's message on the Holy Spirit is going to be a little bit different than I first thought it would when preparing this week, but although I occasionally skim through other pastors' sermons in preparation for mine in order to um, get some ideas about how to approach a topic, I almost never listen to or watch an entire sermon, including my own. And I recently just did that not that long ago, and I I don't like listening to myself. I don't know how you guys put up with me. (laughs) But I don't usually do that. But for some reason this week, I was drawn to a sermon on the Holy Spirit. And as I began to watch the video of this sermon, I couldn't stop watching. I felt like God was speaking to me directly uh, through his words. And I'm going to credit the Holy Spirit himself with that and trust that what I'm going to share with you this morning is what God wants for us as well. And I'm certainly not going to attempt to just repeat the sermon that I watched because that's pretty easy to do. Well, if you have it transcribed in front of you. But I know that if I did that and believe between you and I, I've tried that once. Early on, when I started, and you probably remember, it did not go so well. But I'm convinced that some of the ideas in that message are so relevant for us that I'm going to incorporate them into this message this morning. So, my original intent was to walk us through methodically and logically through the process of salvation so we could see. How the Holy Spirit is involved in each step of that process. Including the time when he permanently takes up residence in our lives. And I'm still going to touch on that briefly. But what I really want to be able to do this morning. Is to look at our own lives. And determine based on the clear teaching of scripture whether we truly are followers of Jesus who have the Holy Spirit living in us. Are you ready? Wow. Hey, there's a few people. So, let's begin with a brief summary of how the Holy Spirit works in the process of salvation. And I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, without a lot of commentary, because again, as I've watched my own self preaching, I'm like, what are you doing, guy? Okay. So the Holy Spirit in the process of salvation begins with him drawing to us. The Holy Spirit draws us. And before we enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, the Bible is clear. Of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Ephesians chapter 2. So, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And then further in John 6, 44. And since we are all dead and blind at one time, we were incapable of creating spiritual life on our own. A dead person cannot resuscitate himself and a blind person is incapable of restoring his own sight. Jesus made it quite clear that without God's intervention, in our lives, we are incapable of even being drawn to him. And again, John 6:44, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. and I will raise him up on the last day." So when we are dead and blind, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and initiates that process of salvation by drawing us to God. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. It is only when the Holy Spirit enters our hearts that we can recognize our own need For a Savior and cry out to God. Amen? Secondly, in addition to drawing us, when we've talked about this in the last couple weeks, the Holy Spirit convicts us. He convicts. Once the Holy Spirit has drawn us to God, the next step is to convict us that we are sinners. And we are in need of a Savior. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. And you will no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. John chapter 16. By nature, no one wants to admit that he or she is a sinner. Why is that? Why is that? We know that we deserve God's wrath. And who therefore needs a Savior? We do. We know that. But that's one reason it's so difficult for us to share our faith with others. Until someone is willing to admit his or her sin, the rest of the gospel message is completely irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. That's why we need to be specifically praying for our lost friends, for lost family members. And we pray that God's Holy Spirit would convict them of their sins, And also their need for a savior. We know this. Why do we make it more difficult on ourselves? The third thing that the Holy Spirit does is he regenerates. He regenerates. Let me explain. Regeneration is one of those theological terms. That we tend to use without necessarily having a very good understanding of what it means. Since, as we've already seen, we're all spiritually dead at one time, we need to be reborn spiritually. Our dead spirit needs to be regenerated. And only the Holy Spirit is capable of doing that. And Paul summarizes that idea very succinctly in his letter to Titus. Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 6 says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He he saved us. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Notice the work of all three persons of the triune God here. God the Father initiates the process of salvation. God the Holy Spirit regenerates and renews our dead spirit. And God the Son, Jesus is the means by which our salvation is made possible. You following so far? Good. Jesus spoke of the same process in John chapter 3, where he explained to Nicodemus the need to be born again. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, In addition to regeneration, he does another thing. He seals. He seals. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And then 2 Corinthians, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul writes that the Holy Spirit is like an earnest money deposit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Who here has bought a house before? A few of you. An earnest money deposit works like this. When someone signs a contract to purchase real estate, they make an earnest money deposit to show that they are serious about fulfilling the terms of the contract. Understanding that they will lose that money if they fail to perform their contractual obligations and blah, 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 right? God gives his Holy Spirit to every single believer as his guarantee that God will bring our salvation to completion. And since the Holy Spirit is the one who both initiated the process of salvation by drawing and convicting us and is the one who regenerated our dead spirit completely apart from anything that we could ever do, it is certainly fitting that he is the one who is the guarantee that our salvation will be brought to completion and that we will live eternally in God's presence. He also immerses us. And I've used this word immerse rather than "baptized" because the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of the most controversial topics with the church today. And you might be saying, well, why is that? Well, believe it or not, we're all different people. We all have our different thoughts and ideas. Go to a seminary. It's, it's a jungle out there. But having said that, while it's controversial, And we don't have the time to deal with this in great detail. Um, I'm going to use the connections uh, next week to explore that topic more in detail. But this morning, as many of you know, the English word baptize is is merely a transliteration of the underlining Greek word rather than an actual translation. So in my opinion, you take it for what it's worth. Much of the understanding or misunderstanding about the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be avoided in the translators had they just done what they had done nearly every other Greek word and just translated into English rather than transliterate it. The word we're looking at is baptizo. Baptizo, to place into, to immerse. But let's keep that, defini- uh, that definition in mind um, as we read what Paul wrote about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. You can reference that. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink. Of one spirit. Now if you take that same verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. You take that verse. And translate the word baptizo. Rather than merely transliterate it. For in one spirit we were all placed or immersed. Into one body. Jews are Greeks slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So once we do that. The meaning of this passage becomes very clear. First, note that Paul writes that all were baptized or placed or immersed into one body. This is not some uh, special manifestation of the Holy Spirit that only some believers experience. No, this was for all to experience. And second, we see the importance of every believer... Being an active participant in the body of Christ. Which is why I've yelled at you from the pulpit. If you're sitting here, you need to be working. Yeah, you. You too. (laughs) Since the Holy Spirit has placed every single believer into that body of Christ then it must be important to God and ought to be important to us. So let me summarize what you've learned so far. And it was quick. I told you, it was quick. But if you are a genuine follower of Christ, it is not a result of anything that you have done. It is the Holy Spirit who has drawn you, who has convicted you who has regenerated you, who has sealed you and immersed you into the body of Christ. So even the faith to trust in Jesus for your salvation is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I know there's been questions flying around the church lately, which you all drug me into, thank you. No, it's been great. We've talked about free will, right? We've talked about who is the Holy Spirit. And a number of different things that have been swirling around in the sanctuary and in our Bible study groups. But like I said, even the faith to trust in Jesus for your your salvation and any of that is the Holy Spirit in, in working in your life, okay? Now this is all some crucially important information for us to understand. But what is vitally important here is to understand how this information should impact our day-to-day lives. We should be asking questions. We should be getting clarification on maybe a theological term. You should be talking to your pastor about what's going on in your life. It's not all hospital visits and uh, please pray for my sickness or, you know, these kinds of things. Talk to me. I want to know what's going on with you. You pay me, you might as well use me. But God, that's what God wants. He wants you to use the tools that are available to you. I may not have the answer, so I'll just ask Dave to do it. But either way, we're going to find a way to get you the answer. We're going to find a way to grow with you. Is there any secret why we've grown in the last year? It's not anything we did. It's not anything that you did. It is we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of us and the lives of this church, period. We get no credit. We'd love to take credit, but we don't get no credit. And it's fun to watch, isn't it? It's fun. I love it. So knowing all of this, we know that nothing that we can ever do could please God unless we allow the Holy Spirit to work on our behalf and guide us to where God would have us go. What is the practical implication for us? Now, I'm going to use the verse that uh, this particular pastor focused on in his message to help us understand some practical implications for us. So, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And this is the whole basis of this sermon this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word on this. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I only ask you to stand up and I see some of you sleeping, so. <laughs> A little wake-up call. Says this, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. This, to me, is simple. This, to you, after reading this and listening to this, you might say, well, duh. I can understand that. If I repent and be baptized and follow Jesus and understand that he forgives me for my sins, I'll receive that Holy Spirit we're talking about. Are there any questions? I know this would be odd to take a QA and a right now, but honestly, if we are going to be beacons for God, if we're going to serve others in the capacity of kingdom work, We have to know this. We have to believe this. It has to envelop us. Otherwise, we can't be used. Otherwise, I might as well be sitting down there with you. We have to believe. And I realize that I'm taking a risk here because this is one of the most argued about passages in the entire New Testament within the body of Christ. Because it gives rise to this question. Is baptism required for salvation? No. 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 And those on both sides of that argument carefully... Analyze the underlining Greek language of this passage and pull in other related passages in order to prove their point. This is what they do all day long. I didn't have time for it. I'm lucky I got to be here most of the time. But let's put this verse in perspective for just a moment. In Acts chapter 2, we find that about 120 of Jesus' disciples were gathered together in one place. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in a number of different languages. And this attracted a large gathering of devout Jewish men who had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And even though these men spoke many different languages... Because they had come from many surrounding nations, they all heard the words being spoken in their own language. And then Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, stood and preached the gospel, using the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. And at the end of that message, the people responded to that message. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Acts chapter two, verse 37, one verse prior to what we just read. We have instruction. We have the ability to receive the Holy Spirit. But once we've done that, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? They just obeyed. They just obeyed. And we must obey. The first thing they did was to repent. And I know we've discussed what it means to repent. Uh, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, genuine repentance looks very similar. When I fall in love with Jesus, it means that I turn around and I start To follow him. I don't just keep living my life the same way as I did before. And ask Jesus to come along as my co-pilot. It means that my schedule. And the way that I use my resources. And my thoughts. And my life. Now revolve around him. And his purposes. And his plans. And his ways. Rather than my own. That day, those believers who were gathered there did just that. We know that because just a couple of verses later, we read about the dramatic transformation in the way they lived their lives. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. These people who had previously lived self-centered lives repented. They turned their lives around and lived in a way that would further the purposes, the plans, and the ways of Jesus. Rather than their own. And they lived life together in a way that would encourage others to do the same. But not only did the people repent. They were also baptized. Not a week later. Not a day later. They were baptized immediately. Immediately. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Sign me up. I want to go to that. That would be awesome. I've always held the position that baptism is not a requirement for salvation. And that's what we believe. And that's what God tells us. I must also acknowledge that at least on the day of Pentecost... It was really hard to make a sharp distinction between the actions of repenting, being baptized, and receiving the Holy Spirit. The people who were there that day seemed to view all three actions as something that almost occurred simultaneously. We don't necessarily act that way. We could. We most certainly could. But they loved Jesus so much. That they wanted to be obedient to the words that Peter had spoken under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How many of us sitting here today are being led by the Holy Spirit right now as we sit here? He's prodding you, leading you along, telling you you need to be doing something. You need to be talking to this person. You need to be leading a Bible study. You need to be kicking the pastor out of the pulpit, give me a turn. Uh, You need to be doing something for the kingdom work. If you're not hearing it, let me turn up the volume. He's calling you. He's asking for you by name. Obviously, to the people there that day, salvation was about so much more than staying out of hell. Hell. Or about praying the sinner's prayer. Or even about walking down an aisle. If that is all salvation is, we really don't need the Holy Spirit, do we? But if salvation is the kind of radical, life-changing encounter with God like they experienced that day then the constant work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is indispensable. Don't turn a blind eye and listen. We can't possibly do that without being filled with the Holy Spirit. So repentance, baptism, and receiving the Holy Spirit are not merely some optional add-ons for those who would desire to follow Jesus. They're all things that are required by God. How you come to it and do it, that's you. That's the leading of the Holy Spirit. They felt led to do it immediately. They were so on fire for God, they couldn't wait to be obedient. Boy, if that was our prevailing attitude in churches today, that we couldn't wait to burst through those doors and get to praying to God and giving him our all. How churches would change, wouldn't it? The really valuable contribution of the charismatic renewal is their relentless emphasis on the truth that receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is a real, life-changing experience. This is a quote by Pastor John Piper. He goes on to then say, It is not merely the performance of rituals or sacraments. It is the life-changing experience of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. You want something different in your life? Follow Jesus. You want to see your world turn upside down for the good? Follow Jesus. One last question for you this morning and we'll close. Have you? Experience the life-changing experience of receiving the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, but I know that there are individuals here who may have not ever known what it is to have that life-changing experience in the body of Christ. And I have something to say. You're in the right place. You're here at the right time. It is by no accident that you're here this morning. And I pray that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and leads you so that we could all join together one day and say, praise God. Praise God. And I know that at least some of you here this morning can answer that question with a confident yes. Yes. Because your life has been radically transformed by your faith in Jesus. But perhaps some, even many of us, aren't quite sure how to answer that question. So let me suggest a few other questions that might help you answer that question. Are you so in love with Jesus that you're willing to follow him regardless of the cost? Have you obeyed the word of God and given testimony to your faith by scriptural baptism? Is there evidence in your life that the Holy Spirit lives in you? Are you becoming more like Jesus, living a life of holiness and helping others to do the same? If that describes your life, let me be the first to say, welcome, brother and sister. If it's not, don't leave here today Until you address that situation, we have individuals here who are wanting to talk with you. Willing, able, ready, whenever. Don't leave here today without it. I'm not gonna ask you to pray some prescribed prayer or to have an altar altar call or ask you to walk down the aisle. Not my style. I go where the Holy Spirit leads me. And if he leads me to you, great. If he leads you to me, even better. But know this. He's calling. He's calling you. And like I said, we make it as easy as possible. We have people available. We have stuff in the bulletin that you can fill out. We have a website. We have places where you can go and get your questions answered. And don't give the excuse that, you know what, just isn't the right time. Oh, it's the right time. And like I said, it's the right place. But those of us who know that answer to be yes, remember and ask yourself this, when did I become a Christian? How did the Holy Spirit lead me to that conviction? And am I sure of that salvation? And then when did I receive the Holy Spirit into my life? And to be real honest, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure. I can't pinpoint a date, time, or anything. I just knew it. And then didn't go, oh, well, I better mark that down. I know it. No. I don't really know for sure. Um, But beyond that, I'm not exactly sure. But I, I can tell you without a doubt, based on the Word of God, that today I stand before you as a Christian who has received the Holy Spirit into my life. I know that I have repented and turned and to follow Jesus. I know that I have been obedient to Jesus by testifying to my faith in him. Through scriptural baptism, I've done that as well. And I can see the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And based on the promise we saw this morning in Acts chapter 2, verse 38... I am confident of my relationship with Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I leave you this. Do you have that same assurance? Do you have that same assurance? Dave.
0: April of 83 don't know the exact day or anything July 89 anybody else shout out your time of salvation the day that you knew you came to faith in Christ 68 72 73 do here hear 74 53 wow Seven years old, 63. Sometimes it's refreshing to stop and remember what God has done in your life. Thank you for the sermon this morning. That was awesome. Don't leave here today if you're uncertain of knowing Jesus Christ. Are you at a place in your life, spiritual life, where you know for certain that you have eternity with God. You're going to spend eternity with God or without Him, but with Him. Are you certain of that? Because the Bible says these things are written that you may know you have salvation. Don't have to hope for it. Don't have to guess. You can know that you know. And open, here's, a, here's a four words you haven't heard in a long time. Open your hymn book to page 596. I want you to hold it, I'm not making it here, but I believe off this sermon and what we're going to sing, I want you to hold it, I want you to look at these words because this is what it takes to follow Jesus Christ. There are many in the christ Center Bible-believing churches who have professed Christ, but they have yet to step off the throne of their life. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one verse. Let's sing this. Pray about this if you have yet to do so.
1: There is a uh, lunch fundraiser over in the Fellowship Hall, Baked Potato Bar. Please check that out. Uh, We will begin our business meeting in about 10 minutes. In about 10 minutes, it'll give you a chance to go use the restroom and do what you need to do. Be back here, and then we'll go through that. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and let's give it all to God right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit as guidance and to allow us to again be those beacons of light in a dark, dark world. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for its people. Thank you that you are ever present with us and guide us to your everlasting grace and mercy. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you always keep your promises. And Lord, let all the things that we say and do be an honor to you today. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great week this week.
0: The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him.